And here is your guest host, Corey Truax. Welcome in to the Thursday edition. You're more than halfway to the weekend. I'll be with you for hour number one, Lisa Van Riper, for hour number two. Welcome in to Christian Worldview Today. Amongst many other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church. Uh, my name's Corey Truax, by the way. I think Gary already said that. I also host the Corey Truax Show right here on his radio talk, WHRT. It strikes me that we are in two concurrent seasons at the same time. I want to work that out for you, maybe for all of the first hour of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Bean this morning. My name is Corey Truax, filling in for the first hour. Yesterday was Ash Wednesday. You might be part of a tradition. Catholicism, I I know, does. I think Anglicans, Episcopals, I think, also take part in Ash Wednesday, where you might actually go to church, go to your parish and have an actual ceremony of some sort. I happen to not be part of those traditions, but I like Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday for the believer really kicks off what should be another holiday season. I know that we think of holiday season as going into Christmas, and that's good. It's good that we think about the Advent season, Jesus' first coming as holiday. Granted, that's also a very American holiday. You don't even have to have Jesus to do it. You can do it with Rudolph and Elf and Frosty the Snowman. You can have an entire Christmas season with zero content about the reason for that season. You can have songs and movies and shows and the the tinsel and lights and never actually think about this season being about Jesus' first coming. I would argue the holiday season that we entered into yesterday is the more significant of the two, and it tends to not be an American holiday. Yeah, 39 days from now, I think it is 39 days, 39 days from now, we will celebrate Easter as a country, but that's not much of a celebration in comparison. You'll, you're already seeing it. There's Easter baskets on the on the shelf at Walmart, and pastel colors are starting to be posted right there in all the apparel sections, so you can get ready for the spring. But there's not going to be 24-7 Easter music on your adult listening stations. There's not going to be 24-7 Easter music even on your Christian stations. If we're going to call that, well, granted, most songs are feature at least one verse about the resurrection. But we're in that season now. Whether you know it or not, we turned the page yesterday on Ash Wednesday to start the Christian season that goes into eventually, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Maundy Thursday, and we'll do Good Friday. We'll do Quiet or some. Different, uh, different traditions call it different things. Uh, a, a quiet, a silent Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, eventually even getting into after that Pentecost. Like we're actually in our holiday season right now. So happy Christian holiday season as we get into Easter. At the same time that I see that season starting, I also see in my Americanism. So I'm, I'm first a believer, but then I'm also an American. I just see that yesterday. Vivek Ramaswamy declares he's going to run for president. A great warrior against uh, 
uh, the ESG, um, equity, sustainability, governance agenda in, in private in private firms. A week before that, Nikki Haley. Months before that, the former president of the United States. And there's going to this is traditional. This is when it happens in the cycle that it's both going to be Christian holiday season and presidential season. <laughs> Actually, I just turned over to my Gmail just because I, I had a habit just now as I was talking. And the new I get the New York Times daily email, and the title is A 2024 GOP Field Guide. So I have... Two things pulling on my attention. It's not unlike what our, in some ways, our ancestors would have been feeling 2,000 years ago. You know, we're not far from Palm Sunday. I think it's about five weeks away. Palm Sunday, we get the picture of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. A, not, a, not a big, stately, intimidating uh, animal to come in on. And as he rides into Jerusalem from the west, that's the direction he was coming from, he was coming in with a ragtag, unimpressive following. Now granted, they were shouting Hosanna, and they've got palm trees in front of him, but it, it wasn't exactly the most stately entrance into the city from the west. From the east. A guy named Pilate was on the way. He probably showed up about a week before Passover as well. It's not unlikely that the arrival of Jesus from the west and Pilate from the east were mere hours or days apart from each other. Pilate would be coming in because he knows what season it was too. God's people at the time, the Jews were regathering in Israel for their holiday and Rome knew if they're ever going to get out of hand, it's going to be when they're all together. If they're ever going to try something against Rome, it's going to be on one of these holiday seasons when they all gather together and they feel strong. And so Rome would make its display of power by sending Pilate in. He lived about 50 miles east. Well, Pilate's entrance was very different. Pilate came in on horses and steeds. Pilate came in with soldiers. He came in with weapons. From the east, the powers of governments. From the east, the powers of the state that call to people. This is where you'll find safety. This is where power is. And from the west... Jesus on his foal of a donkey. It's a really high contrast view for those who are standing in Jerusalem and seeing those two entrances. And I see that for us right now. Listen, I'm, I'm not Pentecostal, and so I don't talk about the Spirit much, but we need to be real, really clear. There's spiritual things happening behind everything. And right now, as you enter into this Lenten season, so Ash Wednesday kicks off Lent, that will, uh, that will take us into Palm Sunday and Easter. From the West, <laughs> Jesus is entering. It's, it's holiday season. And from the East, candidates are entering. They're going to fight for your mind. They're going to fight for your affections and your emotions. They're going to fight for your peace. They're going to fight for your joy. And I want to start my time this morning just encouraging you. Choose the entrance from the West. It's not that governments don't matter. It's not that candidates don't matter. They do. But a lot less than you think. 
And if we will focus our minds on things that are above and not things that are below, you know, you know what you're going to find in yourself? You'll be a lot happier. You're not going to let the news cycle get you so angry. You won't feel so unsettled and high anxiety. I think I'll finish this point here. You'll hear me make a point similar this Saturday morning if you listen to the Corey Truax Show right here on WHRT. 8 a.m. is when you can join me there. I've now had my adult my adult life I would consider to be about half my life now. I'll be 37 in a couple months. And so I've been almost 20 years out doing adult things. I've lived through, in my adult life, knowing what it was like to have George W. Bush as president, then Obama for most of my adult life, and then those years of uh, Mr., uh, of Trump. Here's what I noticed when I think back on it. Because I gave all those people a lot of my emotions. I lived angry at Barack Obama. I let him control my emotions. During a primary season, I let Donald Trump control my emotions. I lived angry. When I, I would think about these things a lot, political things, governmental things, I thought about them a lot. They controlled my emotions. All the while, what was actually happening in my life? I bought a house. Two nephews grew into incredible men. I found a woman. I got married. I sold that house. I got ordained in the ministry. The Lord chipped away a lot of flesh in me and built up a lot of spirit in me. I got a podcast. I got invited to do a show on WHRT. I got to travel all over the country. All the while, those things were happening, and my emotions were were, were riled up. They were, they were bundled up in what was happening and going on in D.C., and ultimately, I don't know that it ever affected my life. I might have let it affect my emotions, but my real life was barely affected. Now, some of you have different stories. There are actual policies that come down from a federal government that they affect your life in a very real way. It's more rare than we'd like to admit because it's exhilarating to care about these political things. I think for some folks, we all love gossip and unthinking people gossip about Hollywood stars and music stars. But smart people watch Fox and CNN. That's how. That's the gossip that really matters. We know that we're thoughtful because we're watching the gossip on Fox and MSNBC. Yeah, I'm. I'm just telling you, they're they're coming marching from the east. They they bring their very impressive resumes and they bring their panic and they bring their anger. And I just see marching from the west a whole other kingdom that deserves your affection and attention. It does not seek power to rule over, but it loves its neighbor. And it just spreads like wildfire when it's practiced properly. For a child of the 90s hosting the show on Thursdays is just a ton of fun. Throw back Thursday to Trading Sorrows. I can play that that riff on bass. The dum 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 I learned that back in the day. Fun times. Hey, there is a bill going through your state legislature right now. Just pass the House. It'll go to the Senate. I don't expect it's going anywhere, but as with some legislation, it's just a good talking point to figure out where we stand as a people, ask if there's any biblical worldview implications to a given topic. So here's the bill. It will allow open carry. Some people call that constitutional carry. Open carry of a firearm for anyone 
even down to age 18. My underst- I, I, Admittedly, I'm not super familiar with gun laws in South Carolina. I'm a big Second Amendment proponent, a gigantic proponent of gun rights generally. I just, I'm not into guns. I don't like them. They're loud. They smell bad. Those, you, those of you that are gun enthusiasts, I'm appreciative of you. I think you make largely the world safer uh, because you are... You guys aren't the people that ever do bad things with guns. You tend to be a deterrent. So I'm grateful for you guys. I'm just not one of you. And so that means I'm not super familiar with gun laws. I think open carry is legal in South Carolina for a lot of people because the the controversy of this bill is that it expands it to people under 21 and gets it to 18. And so I want to start there. We have the idea of an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, openly carrying a firearm on their belt, right? They've got a a harness on and they're carrying a gun openly. I wonder first, you could call it in at 1-888-660-9535, 1-888-660-9535. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with that idea? You can also comment on Facebook Live. The, uh, The page I think is Christian Worldview with Tony Beam. You can comment there. Now, while you decide if you're comfortable with someone that young, carrying around a firearm openly. I, I will tell you, I find the, the opposition and the vocal panic of folks mostly on the secular, mostly on the secular progressive left, I just find it a little funny. I find it a little bit hypocritical because the, the, same, the same group that would tell me 18 is much too young to be carrying around a gun they tend to be people that say nine-year-olds know exactly that they're not a girl and they're a boy, and you should pump them full of hormones, start cutting stuff off their body. So at, at nine years old, they definitely know their gender situation. But eighteen carrying carrying around a gun is so mo- is so dangerous. Is it more dangerous than cutting the healthy breasts off thirteen-year-old girls? Is it more dangerous? Is it more dangerous to have an eighteen-year-old carrying around a gun than stuffing hormones into kids? Is that is that more safe? It's just. It brings up a question about how we actually think about age. Because, let's admit from people like me, I think most 18-year-olds are, I don't want to say negative words, but not. let me say it this way. The breed of 18-year-old in 1970 was a different 18-year-old. There's a different level of responsibility in adulthood and expectation. The level of... 18-year-old in 2004, when I was 18. We had an obviously different set of expectations. There was a lot of adulthood required of me. You can start seeing that now in the, the how young people defer when they start driving. They're eligible to drive at 16, but more and more they wait. I was washing dishes at the back of a pizza place when I was 15 years old. I recently had a small group with a group at Beachwood Church. And one of the things we talked about was was work and our first jobs. And around the table with people my age and older, all of our first jobs were 14 or 15 years old or even younger. Uh, I think my dad said he was pumping gas at a gas station when he was, I think, 13 years old. Now kids are, young people are putting their, their jobs off until, their first jobs off until later. Some kids at 18 don't think they're ready to go to college, and so they take, quote, gap years, end quote, and just do nothing, or maybe get part of, a, get part of some program. Now, I'm not speaking universally of 18-year-olds. There are 18-year-olds that you know, strike me as adults. But, guys, are, are we willing to admit and consider, 
And 18-year-olds aren't what they used to be. Yeah, they're graduating high school, but they seem... Maybe it's just because I'm older. Every year, high school graduated classes look more and more like toddlers to me. I'm 20 years older than they are now. Every time I see a high school class come through, and I work in higher education, so every year I see the senior class. And I have seen it for 15 years. That's how long I've been doing what I do. And they just seem more and more like children all the time. So I wonder if, while we look over at a secular progressive left and go, your concept of age is all jacked up and you're hypocritical, I I don't even hear your concern about 18-year-olds carrying guns openly because the way you think about 11-year-olds. I don't even hear your concern. It's invalidated by your other positions. I just think that you're freaked out by guns for some reason. It's an irrational fear. And you've invalidated your own concern by how you think about gender and sexuality for 12-year-olds. So I'm finished listening to you. I think you're hypocritical. Now back over here. Don't you think 18-year-olds are kind of not ready? I think I'm there. To the extent that... Yeah, I guess I'll say it out loud. I don't think I'm comfortable with an 18-year-old carrying around a gun publicly. There's just too many dumb ones. Listen, I was a moron when I was 18. Absolute moron. And I don't know that our quality of 18-year-old has gone up. I think our quality of 18-year-old has gone down in the last 20 years since I've been 18. So I'm wondering, would you be open to, would you be open to raising that age? Um, secondly here. We're also getting a call right now. So if you have comments or an answer to that, you want to call in. It's 1-888-660-9535. 1-888-660-9535. Mickey on the Facebook Live asks, didn't this bill open it up for convicted felons to uh, open carry? I don't know, but I'm I'm not opposed to that. I've, I know I'm outside Wait of... Wait a second. I didn't think convicted felons could own a gun. And if that's the case, I, I actually would want to undo, want to undo that. I'm I'm a I'm a guy who wants to even restore voting rights to felons, um, or people who were convicted felons. Because uh, here I go. You're not a felon for life, guys. If you're con- if you're convicted of a felony, you pay your debt to society by serving your time in prison. When you leave prison, the consequences of your actions should now be complete. We we just the way we handle people who've been convicted of these things ruins their lives forever. They now have to answer a question on, on job applications for their whole lives. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? So they can never actually find a job. And so they they tend to go back to lives of crime because we've locked them out of society, including they don't get to vote and they don't get to own, own a weapon. Like Once you have paid your debt, once you've done it, I would like for you to be fully restored to the community of humans. Like You're, you're welcome back in. And if you need a cautionary tale of this, I would take you to the Marvel movie Ant-Man. Ant, the, the, I'm just kidding. This actually is his story, by the way. He's a Ant Man is a thief. When he gets out of prison, he wants to do normal things. He wants to get back into the normal work life, but no one will hire him because he's been convicted of of, of stealing stuff, and so he has to go back to a life of crime. Now, that's a comical version of the of that world, but it's a very real world. So I don't know if this bill does that for for felons, but I would be fine with it. Uh, to the phones, here we go. Matt, you are up first. Uh, yeah, the 18-year-olds open carry, I'm kind of middle of the road on that because at 18, they can sign up for the military, so they should be able to carry a firearm in their citizen life. 
That's a great argument. But, it's actually one of the arguments I'm going to make in a minute, so you beat me to it, and I'm grateful. And Matt, I like your attitude. Who says that anymore? I'm middle of the road. I'm not real sure yet. Like, what a mature way to think. Thanks, Matt, for the call. Rock, you are next as we are trying to figure out what we're going to do with open carry in South Carolina. Welcome to the show. Well, just about every 18-year-old that I know that got a hold of a nice handgun showed it off to everybody, and it got stolen. In, oh, yeah. So in your life, you have found 18-year-olds use them as toys, and the toys get stolen? Uh, well, they show it up. They're proud of it. I don't know. that. You know, they're cowboys, I reckon. Yeah, they get t- proud of it. They're going to show off their, their Colt 45. I know it's not a Colt 45. It's right. been stolen. Usually, usually they're 9 millimeters. Yeah, and then they get stolen. But the people who steal guns are people that you don't want to have guns. So I think, Rock, good point. Thank you for the call. It makes a argument in opposing the idea of having open carry for 18-year-olds because they might not have the maturity. Now, Matt makes an argument I wanted to make, and I want to revisit. He leads us here. Not only does secular progressive leftism have some irrational hypocrisies on how they think about age, what if we do too? What if we're thinking about age and wages that conflict with each other? It has not been my reputation to talk radio to bring up things that generates calls and contacts, but boy, I stepped in one today. Over here on the Facebook live feed, good point, or uh, one question and one point. Uh, David made the point about 18-year-olds being able to join the military that Matt brought up. His response to that is, well, now that 18-year-old has training with a firearm. So, of course, that 18-year-old should be able to carry because they've had the training. And those are two very different 18-year-olds, right? The 18-year-old, the rando, is very different than the military guy because of that training difference. Uh, Mickey asked, who do you, who would you want to exclude from carrying? Because uh, I don't want to exclude felons. My uh, default position is that humans are free, and no, and then governments d- don't get to tell us what not to do without really proving that they have to. And so I want ev- anybody to be able to defend themselves, carrying whatever they they need to, to to defend themselves. It's the government's responsibility then to prove you shouldn't be able to carry that thing. And as for felons, just again, they're just like me and you. Once they've paid their debt, once they've served their time, they're not any less of a person than I am. And if I get to defend myself with a weapon, they should be able to defend themselves with a weapon as well. Uh, I think that's all from the Facebook Live feed that I wanted to get to. Next up is John, I think probably on the same topic. Welcome in. Hey, Corey. Morning. Uh, I wanted to make the point. The constitutional carry uh, goes along those same lines. There's basically no restriction on being a felon. There's no other requirements. In South Carolina, I believe, you can open carry once you have a concealed permit. Okay. So, that's... so there's, there is a stipulation on that, that open carry. And just a note, I would never open carry. Because that would make me a target to the bad guy. You know, I've heard a lot of gun guys say that, and... I have a comment on that. John, thank you for the clarification. One, I just needed someone to tell me what the actual law was, so thanks for it. You know, the, the open carry thing, the, the people who do it, I don't know, I don't know their motivation, and I never, I never like judging people's motivations because I don't like mine judged. But let me say it this way. I know a big chunk of dudes who carry their weapon 
everywhere they go, even to places that they're not supposed to, where it's posted on the door, you're not supposed to, but they don't follow those rules. And every one of them conceals wherever they go, and they conceal really cleverly. And those guys, by the way, are the ones I always feel the most safe with. They are the le- they're the least hot-headed. They are the most normal persons. They just are the personality types who, f- who feel the pressure of defending others. And so they want to be prepared to do that. The idea of open carry, I think John makes a good point. Yeah, it makes you a makes you a target to bad guys if they're out there. But second, it it does just feel like a a state like a, a statement you're making to everybody else. Like there, are, it's it's almost like a more aggressive version of certain bumper stickers. There are bumper stickers on people's cars that aren't helpful. They don't further conversation. They're not thoughtful. They're just a poke. They're just a poke at the people they don't like. And it feels like open carry for some people is just making a statement about who you are, who you don't like, and wh- wh- what you want, wh- how you want them to feel. Now, this makes some people mad, but that's how it, like masks ended up being for a lot of people during during COVID. Masks were a ended up being a signal, a symbol of who you were, and so you wore one to make a statement about the person I am and who I don't like and who I do like and who's in my tribe. And open carry, for some people, feels similar. It's just making a point about about what, what, what should be, what the rules should be, and making a statement with your whole life. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of doing that for gun cause. I'm not a fan of doing that for a public health cause. There's exactly one cause I think that we should all be making decisions about when we're trying to make statements about our lives, and those are Jesus causes, right? Not, not about guns, not about public health. I think there was one more comment I wanted to get to on this from the Facebook Live. Um, yeah, good church, good church question. My church does not have. This is from Jim on the Facebook Live. Does your church have a sign up that says "Concealed Weapons Prohibited"? We do not, but we do have a we do have a policy about who can be carrying. Um, I think we have that policy sitting right there on, near the front door, um, where basically you. Go, you can go through a process at our church of being able to carry inside, but it's not just open to the public. And now Beachwood has Beachwood is a is a well defended place. I'll tell you, I can tell you that. But for the for outsiders who want to come in, we're not closed off to that. There's just going to be a process, and it's going to be members, things like that. Um, from David on the Facebook Live feed says, I'm a concealed weapons permit holder, so I certainly support gun rights. That said, most agree that open carry isn't a smart option. One of them, oh, and I just lost David's comment because there's more comments coming. So let me get off the Facebook live feed and do what I was going to do. The other thing I wanted to do here was ask that question about our how coherent we are when we think about age. So I think carrying a gun it doesn't, it isn't uh, not inherently risky, but it carries some risk. And we have these weird different ages where we do different things. So 18 is when you can carry a gun. It's when you can vote. We can draft you in the military. You can't drink yet. We also just changed the tobacco age to 20 to 21. I I don't know how to unify all of our age restrictions yet, but I would argue I would at least argue this. There's a a way here in uh in statesmanship and compromise, I think to both anger everyone 
and get some satisfaction. For example, let's say folks who are fearful of guns and think 18 is too young, and they want to set that age at 21 or 25. I'd love to propose whatever age you want for a, for a gun open carry, that's the age where you vote. Your voting is at least as dangerous. You can do just as much damage or more damage by whom you, for whom you vote by carrying around a weapon. So I, I've, been, I've been for raising the voting age for a, for a long time. Listen, when I was 22, I wanted to raise the age. I, I know I was getting to vote, but I was like, I, yeah, we shouldn't be letting people like me vote. We're way too young. We don't own anything. We have no skin in the game. It's a bad idea to be letting these folks, to let people my age vote. So I could compromise on that. I wouldn't. I don't necessarily want to raise the gun age, but I would be willing to if I could get something else out of it. And so I would want to say that back then to the person fearful of guns. You want the gun thing. I don't know why you want it and why it's important to you. I'm willing to give it to you if I can get something I want to, which is raising the voting age. That's what statesmanship and compromise is all about. Anyone up for that? While we while we consider it, let's go back to the phones. It is Jim. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Two two short situations. I appreciate you opening this up because it's, it's covering a lot of subjects, not just the 18-year-old. I have a grandson who's about 25. He carries a weapon inside of his pants pocket, I mean inside of his belt, behind his shirt. It's not seen. He has a license to do that. So that's one thing that's affecting because he wants to have in case something happens wherever he's at. But the one I want to call you about was what happened here in the Chattanooga area yesterday. Okay. There's a store that sells used products. And this kid, well, I'm saying he's 18, he went in the store and he bought a rifle. And it wasn't in a box, it was just a rifle. So he walks out the store, across the parking lot, and through the Exxon station. Somebody saw the rifle in his hand and called the police. They surrounded this, I'm calling the kid 18 years old. They surrounded this kid, assault rifles, pistols pointing at him. There was about seven police cars. It's very rare you see more than one or two. But there were seven police cars in this gas station where I was just going to get gas, but I couldn't get in there. And what I found out was he had bought a BB gun rifle. And they were treating him like he had an assault rifle almost. And it, kept, it went on for about a half an hour, and I'm thinking, if they found out he was just carrying a BB gun, why didn't five of the cars leave instead of surrounding him stay there for half an hour? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not only the 18-year-old is changing, our whole society is changing about guns. So it's like we're bringing up the subject today. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point, Jim. Thanks for making the call. Uh, going back to the Facebook Live feed, I want to respond to Mickey, who does, I think, ask a question that's, that's fair of me. His is uh, asking me to define who can't carry because I responded to him on the Facebook live feed. I'm just, adults should be able to carry guns. Um, I'm gonna read the rest of it. Just saying, an adult does not define the criteria needed to qualify or disqualify. Uh, so yeah, this is just a really a question about state of liberty, and I could even take you back to like Jean Jacques Rousseau and John Locke and all these guys to uh, to define this for you. What I'm saying is in the state of nature. A human can find a weapon to defend themselves. That's just, if, if everyone leaves you alone, that's something you can do. And so, as a, my state of nature is I can be armed. And when I say I, anybody, anybody can be armed. 
now as we form a, a nation or some kind of community, in it, uh, communities or governments want to come up with something disqualifying, then I guess they can. If you're asking me who I would disqualify, it would take me a while to make. I don't. I don't know, man, because I'm, I'm my thing is my thing is liberty. I'm sure there's somebody I would disqualify. Off the top of my head, I can't get there for you. In part because I am sure when I come up with the person that I'd want to disqualify, I am 1,000% sure that in a country of, I think I think it's 500 million guns that are in circulation, there are 200 million more guns in circulation than there are humans. I am sure the person I would disqualify could get one anyway and it wouldn't even be all that hard. That... So I'm, I am just saying, adults, if you're an adult, you, your state of nature is you can get a weapon to defend yourself. And I don't have, I don't have a disqualifier for that. I can, make, I can hear arguments even going off in my head right now about uh, people who have restraining orders against them you know, in, in marriage situations where they've been abusive, that they could be stripped of their right for some, some amount of time or something like that. So don't hear me saying, there's no way you could ever strip anybody of that right. I am saying that should be a very high bar because state of nature, state of humanity, state of liberty is I can get whatever I want to defend myself and it's not your right to tell me no, that I can't have it. Uh, I hope that answers the question. And it's Hey, but these are good questions to wrestle with before we take this break. One more call. It's Reggie. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Corey. It's uh, always a, a, to- a great topic when you're on and so not that it's not one Dr. Beans there, but it's, uh, <laughs> you have a little spice to it. Thank so. you, sir. But I'll tell you, I think this is my down and dirty and probably oversimplistic answer to gun, the gun problem. If you break one of the existing gun laws, you get prosecuted. Yes. Simple as that. And then, so that's, uh, you know, that takes care of getting the quote unquote bad guys off of this. But as far as, and, and I'm kind of with you, you know, where do you set the bar, you know, as far as uh, who gets them and who don't? And for what reason and whatnot. And it, that just, I, you know, I don't know that that's a, a hill that we can climb. But then I want to preface the last, com- uh, the, the last comment before I go by saying, did not pay me to say this, but, man, you are killing it on your podcast. And I am personally, personally love the most that I have a church, so I'll probably ne- never be at Beachwood, but I enjoy hearing your teaching. Thanks, brother. I mean that. I appreciate it very much. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. Reggie, thanks for the call. And the affirmation. We all know that no one's ego needs affirmation less than mine does, but I mean it. Uh, the, the greatest privilege of my life is that I have been able to marry a woman I adore. The second is that the Lord has allowed me to teach the Bible and that there's a group of people on Sunday mornings that hear it enthusiastically. And then I get to share that with others who on the podcast feed. And so if you want to go hear that, you can find the Corey Truax Show. I'm happy I did, but I didn't mean to kick into quite the fun little hornet's nest this morning as a bill has been passed in the South Carolina House of Representatives to allow open carry for even 18-year-olds. We've been talking about that and how we how we think about age and who carries firearms. All of that is one big package. We've been doing that. I will come back to the Facebook Live feed for more comments on that in a moment. But first... Rick and Bob make similar points on the Facebook live feed, and I think they make good points. Rick just says, there are no disqualifiers on who can carry in the Second Amendment. Good point. Bob says, the right shall not be infringed. It is fairly simple. That might not be comfortable 
for folks. You may, you may not like it, and in which case the honest thing to do is try to repeal the Second Amendment. But that's where we start. Actually, your host for hour number two, uh, Lisa Van Riper, is the one who codified this in my own thinking through some political science courses. D different philosophers over time think about humans differently in the state of nature. The state of nature just being, you take a human, put them in the woods, what's true of them? What rights do they have? And in the state of nature, things, on our worldview is, one, things are hard. That's the world, the world is hard. It takes a lot of work to cultivate anything. You should be grateful for anything good that happens because in the state of nature, things are super hard. So, so you can even see that worldview working itself out and, and its opposition in our world. There's a, a level of entitlement people have because they don't know the world you're in was very hard to build. The fact that you take for granted, you could hit the switch and electricity comes on and your shower's always hot and your fridge is always cold and your car always starts and you can get... You you can move thirty mile you can move thirty miles within an hour and instead of that taking an entire day that world was very hard and so you take it for granted and people like me and folks of my worldview tend to live more gratefully because we know the world is hard we can't believe anybody has has health care we're not blown away that not everyone does we're blown away that anybody does at all we're not upset that some some people have a ton of money we're kind of blown away. That the middle class has all this cool stuff because the state of nature is super hard. In that same vein, in the state of nature, I, I get to go find a if I can, if I can find a weapon that I can use to defend myself, I just get to. And if you want to keep me from having that weapon, you're the one with the burden of proof. If a government comes together and organizes itself, that government now has the burden of proof to tell me you you can't do that thing you want to do. Because my state of nature rights are, are what they are. So ultimately it does come back to biblical worldview. And I would argue that the, the, biblical, the biblical worldview is, is the one that comports itself to reality. And reality is life is hard. The world takes work. Your, your real state of nature is not one of plenty. Your real state of nature is not one of good. The state of nature is... The, the state the state of nature is what I've been saying for a lot of time, and I'm running out of time, and I got to get the phones. So that last point was super inarticulate. Gene, welcome in. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Good, good morning. I don't know. This might be the last time we ever converse. Uh, I know. Like we go to heaven, and when we go to heaven, I, I do plan to freeload at your mansion. Amen. You know Come that. on over. All right. Thank you. Now listen, um, I was a little bit disappointed in your uh, in the first part of the program when you brought up uh, Jesus uh, fulfilling Zechariah nine nine Palm Sunday when he uh, uh, marches into Jerusalem uh, sitting on a colt. Yeah. <clears throat> but <clears throat> and you said he came. He's coming in from the west. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> As I read scripture, the pattern God's pattern of salvation is always from the east. He comes from the east. So the second half you missed, brother, to give us hope. Is that when he returns, he's going to return from the east. Oh. And he's going to march through uh, the Mount of Olives to the east gate. And he's not going to be walking, and he's not going to be riding a donkey. He's going to be riding a what? what? A white horse. Br Faithful and true is his name. Br Gene, basic preaching. And the devil who cast into the doom. Glory, hallelujah. Well done. My God is a man of war. Preaching this morning on WHRT. Gene, thanks for the call, and good catch. Man, I tell you, the better you get, at reading the scriptures, the more cool stuff you find like that. The imagery of of the imagery of it all. 
even just the um that that pattern of salvation comes from the east. And if you read enough Bible, you start to recognize that pattern. Recently at a in a sermon at Beechwood, we recognize the pattern that when you're reading the Bible and you see that your characters elevate, you need to know the plot escalates. So anytime a character goes up a mountain, goes to a high place, recognize something big is about to happen. This is important. If you become a good reader of the Bible, you start to see those patterns. This week at Beachwood, I got the... It's not a burden. It is a... It's a heavy responsibility of rightly dividing the story of the crucifixion in the Gospel of Mark. The the penultimate or the ultimate, I mean, the, the two co-ultimate events in human history, the crucifixion and the resurrection, we got to talk about one. But leading up to it, uh, we, we went through Gethsemane. We, we, we have a mountain garden there. We, we saw the patterns of big things happen in gardens and big things happen on mountains. And even in Jesus's ministry, I don't know that we're going to bring it out Sunday. We might. But we, when big things happen for him, he goes up on high places. He starts with Sermon on the Mount. He's tempted in the wilderness, eventually taken up on a high place. The transfiguration happens up on a high place in a garden setting where he's shown to be who he is. And then his final ultimate work is he goes up on Mount Calvary. When your characters elevate, the plot escalates. And even things like what Dean just said, it, it takes time. The, the good Bible reading, just like with getting to know somebody, is you get them... You get to know them over time, and getting to know your Bible, getting to know your God, happens slowly over time. It doesn't happen quickly. It's reiteration, and uh, let me encourage you to do that. Hour number two is going to have Lisa Van Riper, Van Riper for you. She's delightful. You'll learn a lot and have a good time for hour number two. You can get more of me on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock right here on WHRT or CoreyTruax.com, or just find the show anywhere you find podcasts. Thanks for listening. Lisa Van Riper will be up in hour number two.